0: Hi, Bill. Thanks for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm well, Robin. How are you today? I am having a fantastic time enjoying the new Kato studio with the neon lights and grassy background. Everybody loves this. Who needs green screens when you've got real life sets? You know what? There's green
1: screens and then there's going green and you've got it now. Going green. I'm going.
0: While Kato has been carbon neutral for many years, we're a very green company, not just by corporate colors about what we do for the environment so let your environment over right. overcome you so you got it. Let's talk. let's talk security what do you have for me today
1: Robin uh it's just a lot in the <laughs> news today and the one that I want to share with you is something that's coming up as as something new for us have you heard anything about ta 866 threat actor 866
0: i know that's aligned with the mitre framework if i believe correctly
1: but tell me more well you know it's actually not it's it's a new designation and i I, i'm not surprised you wouldn't know it because this is very new uh threat actor 866 is a designation that's given to a group that uh, we have observed in the wild actually working on some information stealing campaigns so, of course, we, we've got to make sure that we give them a name. We know who we're referring to. This threat actor seems to be targeting primarily uh, U.S. and German targets. Now, we're trying to nail down who this new threat actor is uh, since they only cropped up on the scene in roughly October of 2022. But uh, near as we can tell, there is a possibility as we look at the code that they use for their malware, um, we do find variables and comments that are in the Russian language. So we're going to have to keep doing a little bit further investigation on this threat actor. But I wanted to talk to you a little bit about them because of the campaign that they are executing on and that is ramping up very quickly. I mean, anybody who comments on the code aren't bad people, right?
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah you know documentation right? anybody who actually gives an audit trail and log of what they're developing can't have too much of a malicious intent or they might have right. malicious intent but you know their professional
1: pride goes before them so That's t- right. t- 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 tell me more so this threat actor seems to be utilizing email as their initial vector although uh robin there have been some researchers that have indicated that Google ads are being used. So really got to be careful with this one. Uh, Google ads seem to be everywhere, but what they are doing is they are utilizing either uh, URLs uh, that are malicious or they're, they're utilizing attachments, things like PDFs or uh, even publisher files that link to JavaScript malware. Now, what is so difficult about this is that this threat actor is really using a multi-stage approach to their activity. What happens is the victim gets hold of that JavaScript. That JavaScript will install what's been dubbed Wasabi Seed. Uh, wasabi <laughs> Seed establishes persistence in the Windows startup folder and then pulls down a screenshot uh, mm-hmm. piece of malware. So a screenshotter that will take periodic screenshots. Now that may sound fairly innocuous. I mean, nobody likes the idea that somebody's watching them and checking on their screens, but those periodic screenshots are then uploaded to a command and control server. Uh The threat actor checks to see if they are valuable targets based upon what they're seeing on the screen. If they are, then a second stage download will appear Uh, the the target will have the ahk bot downloaded now the ahk bot is basically a looper that simply loops uh, over and over looking for orders for potential additional downloads and eventually the red amanthus stealer uh, i'm using a lot of big words here today robin (laughs) but the red amanthus stealer will be downloaded on these high value targets and the purpose of Radamanthus is to basically take shots of the registry, to yeah. um, to pull down endpoint data, browser data, and then we'll actually exfiltrate that data over the WebSocket protocol. So this is a nasty one, Robin. It's multiple stages. Uh, boy, you know, uh, behavioral analytics and the the, the kill chain, <laughs> <laughs> really, really important in this one. Indeed,
0: but you have to admire the technology behind it. You know, if you have a thousand computers in your infected botnet and it's all sending back active screenshots of desktop imagery, you must have some powerful object character recognition, some OCR going on in the background to identify who is a high value target versus who is just browsing Reddit at three o'clock in the morning again. So the (laughs) it sounds like the attacks are getting a little more complex. So how can we start? Simple problems have simple solutions. Do complex problems (laughs) have simple
1: solutions? Or do we need complex solutions to fix the complex problems? Well, I don't know if we need complex solutions, but we need solutions that are certainly aware of the complexity. One thing that I find a little bit fascinating, and Robin, you and I always talk about this human element uh, when when we're dealing with these kinds of threats. And you talked about optical character recognition and and all those pieces that, that would seemingly make this incredibly complex. Interestingly enough, researchers have found that the screenshots that are being uploaded are possibly being examined during work hours. So it sounds Last. like they may be being cached and somebody is literally brute forcing them. Now, I wouldn't count on it to stay that way at all, Robin. When we've got uh-huh. a multi-stage attack like this, it's obvious that there is an evolutionary process that's taking place. And, uh, and you're absolutely right. So, you know, a couple things from the simplistic point of view, but I, I think there's a conversation here. First of all, you know, when we're talking about command and control domains or malicious URLs, an intrusion prevention system is going to be absolutely critical. We, we have to make sure that that's in place. And we also need to make sure that that intrusion prevention system is able to share context directly With anti-malware or next generation anti-malware, because this really isn't a case anymore of just looking for particular indicators of compromise. We are looking at behaviors. We have Uh to take that perspective. And I think there's one thing that I just want to cover to kind of close this guy down, Robin. And that is that I'm asked so often, especially when we have folks who are considering a sassy solution, looking to modernize and and go to that shared context model, that model that that really does that 360-degree view of security by making sure that context is shared among all those different aspects of, of what we're trying to identify. One of the biggest questions I get, and and this one might make you laugh, Robin, is this. If we have a sassy solution. That has next generation anti-malware and has all the power in the cloud to do machine learning, uh, bring artificial intelligence to bear, to identify all of this potential malware, even if it's zero day, then do I really need anti-malware on my endpoint? Or I'll get the Uh opposite question. I have anti-malware on my endpoint. Do I really need next generation anti-malware in the cloud? And... Robin, I, I I think we have to go back to cybersecurity 101 here, defense in depth. The you truth is endpoints can, uh, they can detach from that secure uh, edge that we're referring to. Uh, listen, always on isn't always practical. Uh, it, it It may be something that an organization chooses not to deploy. Now, if we are always on, then certainly, you know, there's another discussion to be had there. But uh, users are endlessly creative, uh, USB sticks are prolific, <laughs> and, uh, and so we really do need to think of it more as a defense in depth versus a, do I need one or the other? Can I get rid of this one for the other? What is the security posture that you want to maintain? How important is your data? And are you aware that threat actors such as this new one are getting more and more sophisticated? i think
0: awareness is pretty much key whether you're educating your employees or you're just looking at the security threat landscape awareness is important now i've got one it's for you true. about a win well, you know,
1: i would too got you yeah, no I, I was actually hoping that 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 we could have a little bit of back and forth robin and and uh i'm glad that that you you brought something to the table today you know we we've had these discussions for a while and And I feel like you've got a lot to offer in terms of talking a little bit about what you're seeing from the threat landscape. But I feel like you've sort of been bottling it up a little bit, Robin. So I I, I want you to open up, do not bottle it up anymore. Tell me what you got.
0: The pressure is building and I feel the bubbles getting crazy. What's your drink (laughs) of choice, Bill? What what do you go
1: for when you're not looking for an alcoholic beverage, but you still want to cleanse the palate? Oh my goodness. So when I was growing up, my mother absolutely loved pepsi now i i like coke but you know what pepsi just takes me back to the childhood so i enjoy it well pepsi
0: bottles or pepsico bottling ventures a little bit of a disruption over the past few days i'm not sure if you've heard well, too much about it but pepsi bottling ventures they are the the biggest pepsi cola bottling canning, tinning manufacturer in the world but And they're having a little bit of a problem with some ransomware, some malware, some data being leaked. So this week, the CEO of Pepsi Bottling Ventures sent out a lovely breach indication letter to many of its customers. And this is freely available to find online. You can find the PDF. I'm not going to directly link. But they mentioned that on December 23rd, 2022, nearly two months ago now, (laughs) There was a breach notification something happened somebody got into the the systems and it was only on january the 10th that they were aware that they've been compromised now a lot of this we're still trying to understand the full threats indicators the techniques used we're not aware of a specific um, exploit at the moment that got in but the main takeaway was that somebody somehow gained access to an internal system the inner conclave of the pepsi bottling ventures company and they managed to download some malicious files and once the malicious files were downloaded they started perpetuating and growing and generally taking over and started exfiltrating exfiltrating data now right. the actual statement according to the pepsi ceo was that they don't believe there's been any issues of identity theft they don't believe that anybody at risk However, in the breach notification they do specify things like names, email addresses, and government mandated information such as passport numbers, driving license data, no, no. and many, many more have been included as part of the leak. So to come out right. and explicitly say no identity theft has been identified, I think that is a very malplaced announcement. As generally it is. if you're yeah, if you're working in identity theft, you don't use what you've stolen straight away. Now, Bill, right. in, in a previous life, I may or may have not been as ethical as I am today. However, <laughs> I came across the principle of offense. Now, if you steal huh. something from a shop or from a vendor, you don't sell it yourself. You wait for a few weeks. You wait for a few months until somebody's not looking for that asset. The asset is no longer hot. And then you find a third party broker a fence, to start selling that data right. to do things with it. So Pepsi announced that they knew that their things were were breached. And then they investigated for a whole nine days to find out what has been stolen before they alerted other people. Now if you were included in that breach, if your data was identified to be compromised, they are trying to do the right thing. They are offering I think a million dollars of identity theft protection to those impacted and this is also in the breach statement. but it's a big problem. It's a big problem that they didn't protect the perimeter. It's a big problem that they didn't rapidly identify who was impacted. And from my perspective, it's a big issue that so much personal, sensitive, private information was able to be exfiltrated in one big dump. To me, that looks like bad internal data handling processes. It looks like bad data loss prevention um, protection and it's also showing that they didn't have a full zero trust architecture built into their safe deposit boxes where they need to be so they're currently sweating a little and they're kind of under fire but that's i think that's Uh, justified
1: well robin you you actually raise a couple questions and i i'd like to i'd like to kind of get your thoughts on them so mm -hmm. you know the, the the first piece that comes to mind is this entire concept of dwell time Right. Okay. Uh, a threat actor, obviously being able to compromise, but look at the number of months that passed. W- what are your thoughts around that? How do you how, how can we start to mitigate dwell time? Now, we, we know it's come down uh, over the years. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it used to be threat actors could dwell for hundreds, uh, multiple hundreds of days. And in some cases can. But uh, what, what do you what's your thinking around how we are? How, how can we reduce that dwell time of threat actors being in the environment? reducing the dwell time is something that everybody will have to do at some
0: point now but generally if i were to just look from a technological perspective you would look at forcing regular checks regular device as- assessment checks device posture checks women. maybe looking at identified yeah. known hosts in your monitoring log trying to do port security at the local LAN segment trying to invalidate that everybody joining your domain is user connected doing at the very root level even just doing mac address association on local switch ports is something that could prevent the the local access problem but these are all addressing symptoms instead of really going to the root cause of what's what's addressing the problem dwell time only becomes an issue once somebody can dwell now if you're a landlord if you're a property owner and you don't have anybody renting from you you don't have to worry it's empty However, if squatters break in through a window that you haven't left secured and then refuse to leave, well, that's when you need to worry about dwell time. It's a lot cheaper and right. easier for you to make sure that window has a sturdy lock on it than it is to chase a band of miscreants out of something that you hold near and dear. Now, right. as, well, as people are getting smarter, and I'm going to attribute this directly to the Gen Zs and Millennials all over the world who have been brought up with technology and being willing to give all the data away, people are realizing that there's a higher opportunity cost to do stuff. You get in, you grab what you need, and leave. And because network intrusion systems, network detection systems, intrusion prevention systems are getting smarter and more prevalent, it's leading to Uh. threat actors being more of a smash-and-grab methodology. So they get in, they take what they need, and they might leave a couple of back doors for you to sneak in later, But generally, once that bulk has been exfiltrated, they'll then hit the next target and hit the next target because there's so many targets. And just like walking up to pretty people at a bar at night and saying, hey, can I have your number? It is a numbers game. You might get 10 rejections, but if you ask a thousand people, there's a high chance one of them is going to give you their number. And the same is being seen with threat actors everywhere so so i've I've gone in a long narrative
1: spiel here no no i love that and and i love an analogy you. so first of all on on the dwell time piece i love the prescriptive nature of what you said there's an opportunity to be proactive there's an opportunity to go through those exercises uh certainly we we implement technology for that but i i kind of wonder if you would just share with our listeners in a prescriptive way obviously that smash and grab analogy that you gave is uh it's just spot on right uh there, there's an investment that goes into the threat actors right and trying to get this data so uh give me the prescription how do i prevent pii from getting out of my environment even if they do manage to smash the proverbial window uh and have access what what do you prescribe for that
0: pii personally identifiable information is something that right. you need to hold so near and dear to your organization's heart. A name and an email address might not seem like much to you right now. However, when you've got the government yep. knocking on your door because this has been stolen and you're facing in breach, you'll realize that you have not invalidated your data handling procedures. You've actually invalidated yep. the trust of your customers. And trust is right. the key word. Zero trust right. is the way that everybody, every organization should approach technology. The prescriptive way where you could've prevented this sort of breach happening, and and we're picking on Pepsi, right? Our Pepsi ventured bottling, but it could be anybody, is to take a very holistic approach to how you do networking, how you do security, how you do user awareness or user identity. You need to secure your perimeter. Once you've secured your perimeter, you need to start worrying about validating who is inside your perimeter, and not just allow, checking them once to say, yep, you're fine, come on through the door, but constantly assessing people to make sure they are who they say they are and they have access to what you say they can have access to. This is generally done as part of a zero trust approach. And yes, Cato offers a full zero trust approach to ensure that you have constant device posture checks, user checking, access validation checking, and many, many more. But we shouldn't be focusing on the hacker here. We shouldn't be focusing on the data leak itself. We should be focusing on how to keep the future from being leaked. How to keep it all secure. So prescriptively, yeah, I'll get to it. You know, I like to use 40 words when we'll do, typical Brit <laughs> is step one, look at your network perimeter. Try and identify how can people connect to your network and are your key resources secured? If your key resources are secured, fantastic. You have active ways of monitoring traffic in and out. You can keep that door shut, fantastic. Now, if you come across another point of entry, which might not be so secured, then you should take steps to mitigate that. But the big problem is that sometimes you don't know where your holes exactly are. You might think that you have a front door and a back door and a window. Great. Have you checked the basement? Is somebody tunneling in externally? Has somebody got a ladder and climbed up to your roof and climbed down the chimney like some form of weird, unethical Santa Claus? Possibly. (laughs) So... In that regards, I would advise you to start protecting your users, protecting your environments not at the sites, but at the edge, using something like Cato's Secure Access Service Edge, which will protect you on the middle mile. So any connections going inbound or outbound, we can stop, we can prevent and we can validate. So you don't just get protected, you have a full verification and understanding of who does what. But I feel like I've got into well, some said. form of lecturing monologue here. Must <laughs> be boring myself. No,
1: it's well said. <laughs>
0: <But> <laughs> is your Pepsi ha- having problems? And uh, well, it's the first of many things in February that will be causing security practitioners to scratch their heads and just feel pained. Prevention right. is always cheaper than cure. If you're out there and you're worried about your networks being stolen, if you're worried about your data being leaked. If you're worried about holes on your network you might not be aware of, you know, Kato, as a biased individual, can protect you from everything. However, if you're not a Kato customer, still look at adopting a sassy style approach. Protect your edge, secure your users, validate your connections, because if you don't, you're going to be on the next episode of CyberTalk. And we're going to be talking about Mm -hmm. how you didn't do what was needed to protect what you need. And hey, I tell you what, at the moment, the job market is a little rough and you really don't want to be necessarily looking at, uh, at another job because you've done a career limiting move. Sure. But just True my story. perspective, my perspective. <laughs> Absolutely. But anyway, Bill, thank you for today. I've just been talking to you for far too long. I look forward to what you have for me
1: next week. Enjoyed the talk, Robin. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye.